You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Now, it's that time of year where we are trying to organize and prep and plan for the upcoming season, and some of the gear that we use takes batteries. Now, you should go visit your local Interstate Battery store or visit interstatebatteries.com to check out all the different varieties of batteries that they offer. They have truck batteries. They have batteries for your trail cameras. They have batteries for your range finder and everything else that is electronic that you use for your hunting equipment. They have batteries for that. Interstatebatteries.com. Awesome company. Check them out. Welcome to the DIY Sportsman Podcast with your hosts, Garrett Prawl and Boudreaux Boswell. I've been doing way too much summer scouting. I have a fear that if I do way too much, then I'll burn out before a season comes in, then I won't even want to hunt. <laughs> I don't know, some of these spots I'm finding, like that buck bed I found, it gets me so excited for opening day when I can slip in there one afternoon and and I'm gonna have to be super stealthy and quiet. And like, I mean, take me an hour for that last 50 yards to get to the tree and then another 30 minutes or more to get in the tree quietly, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, you have to take some time off, I feel like. You can't just go straight. Well, I suppose you could, but I mean, like you said, you can burn out a lot faster, especially how much work it is right out, out there now to bust through all that stuff. It's way easier to get that work done in February, March. Mm-hmm. I wish I'd done that. I mean, look at some of those spots I was out yesterday. It's, it's so thick and, and green. You can't see 30 yards. And then I see the video of yours when you're out there in the winter or March, whenever it was, and you can see so clear out through there. Oh, yeah. It gives you a better perspective. It's night and day. And plus, you're looking at what it looks like in October, November, December, mm-hmm. not what it looks like in the first week of September. Yeah, because September's going to be, it's going to pretty much look like it looks now. It'll start dropping a few, I guess. Yeah, because it'll be probably, what, first week of October before the leaves are really start, in full change. And yeah, then start turning. By mid-late October, most of those leaves have fallen down. Yeah, it's, uh, the maples are the ones that tend to drop first, isn't it? They turn orange and fire red. and. Yeah, I mean, about the same time, all the aspens are starting to turn yeah. yellow, too. Yeah, those will be yeah, those will be one of the soonest, the yeah. early ones, and then the the maples, and a lot of the areas that I've scouted has. I'm not sure were they aspens or birch or what they are. They're white bark. Some of them are like paper birch because they have the bark peeling. You, it looks yeah. like the stuff you could burn. Yeah, that'd be that'd be your, and if it's got the little like red buds in the leaves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be. That's always kind of how I learned like birch versus poplar. You look at the. Well, none of these are poplars. Unless they're a different variety of poplar. Because what I know is like tulip poplars don't look like any of these trees here. I, I, people call them popples, and they're yeah. talking about birch or, no, uh, no, or, or aspen or something. Yeah, so aspen, <clears throat> the, I can't remember what kind of aspen it is. A certain kind of aspen that most people around here are called popple. Popple. Or poplar. Either one, but they're <clears throat> so talking about that aspen. But it's not, not really a poplar. They're not, they're not talking about birch. Yeah, but it's not a poplar yeah, tree. It is. Is it in the family? Well, I guess I don't know. Because I've heard. I always assumed that a poplar and aspen of those species were, no, were the same thing. If you've seen a poplar tree, an actual, like a yellow or tulip poplar tree, 
they're dry land. They won't grow anywhere where these these trees are. These aspens are growing, and I've had I've heard that since I've been up here. A lot of people call them popples, and then I hear people call pop say poplar, and I'm thinking poplar, not these aspens I see. I mean, they yeah. might be in the same family. I don't. I know. usually I usually call them aspens, but most people call poplars or popples either mm -hmm. one. It's more common terminology. <clears throat> I've up heard here. popples a lot. So anyway, what are we talking about? Are you going to do an introduction or? Yeah. So basically we're sitting here in my basement with Shane Simpson recording a podcast. And Shane's been on here a couple times. You've done podcasts on what? Turkey hunting before. You did a and podcast with us with, with tracking, Callie. Yeah, tracking. Blood tracking. All. I, how did your your turkey season finish up? How many birds did you either film or, or kill yourself? Or I got eight myself. <clears throat> and one was the the wounded one I had to, to put down. So that really wasn't a a hunt in a typical fashion. I mean, <clears throat> we were out there hunting, excuse me, and I saw the turkey across the field and it had a leg injury. And I knew if, if I got up and let it see me that it would probably hunker down in the tall brush and that's exactly what it did. And basically I just walked over there and flushed it up and shot it. So um, other than that, I got seven other ones in the traditional sense of hunting. And I filmed, I think, a total of 18 kills with the, you know counting the eight I killed so ten other ones with other people um, so it was a pretty good season I, I wouldn't say it was my best but it was right up there top three probably yeah. as far as um, and, and I when I rank a season I usually rank it not number of birds we kill but um, how consistent we were you know it seemed like every Every day or every other day, we had a, we had a bird either shot at or or killed. So I mean, it was like a fifty percent success as far as if we didn't kill one today, tomorrow we were most likely going to kill one. So that was a that's how I would rank it. It was very successful in the in the fact that pretty much if we went out in the woods, we had a good chance of uh, having a uh, uh, what would you call it? Uh, maybe not kill opportunity. one. Yeah, opportunity. That's the word I'm saying. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> I got to start figuring out a way to get more more all day hunts in the woods. I think that's my biggest biggest issue. And that's, vast, vast majority of them are, hey, I got you know a couple, wake up at four a.m. get out there for the roost basically before work, and then go back into work and and then try and roost them yeah, again. I don't I don't know if you really need to concentrate on all day. And I I tell a lot of people that and it's like if you want to really, a lot of people you know they're how how can I do something to be better at it or whatever. The more time you spend out there, obviously you're going to have more opportunities or chances at, at turkeys. And if, but if it's on a day you can't hunt all day, then at least attempt to get out there to roost them. Because if every time I roost a bird, I'd say it's more than half the next morning we kill this bird. I mean, it puts you in the driver's seat because you know exactly where he's at, and you can get, you know in a position to, to set up on him where he's likely going to go or where he wants to go. Whereas if you just go in there in the morning and you start owl hooting or trying to locate one, you want to get one to gobble, it's usually starting to get light then. Now you don't have yeah. the cover of darkness to move around. So yeah. if you can at least roost them, that really puts you in the driver's seat for the next morning. Well, in a lot of my birds, that's how I've killed them, is I've gotten in there well before light, before anything's making any noise and just set up and... And you know, maybe one out of three times they'll do what you think they're going to do, and the other two out of three times they fly over the next ridge and yeah. it's private land or whatever else. <laughs> That's why I don't like going to that spot you and I hunted right next to the river because 
yeah it's it's a one and done deal there and if you can't convince them to come because they normally roost across the river if you can't convince them to fly over to where you're at then and it's only a small chunk there that you really can't run yeah. a gun on well, and all that other stuff too that i was trying to get on that new stuff i was learning this year is all the same type of deal you hike in there and if it if it didn't happen if you went the one way or the other it was like that was your opportunity. You might as well walk back another hour to get back yeah. to the truck. And I, I used to hunt a lot of those small tracks like that, where you, you basically go in there and you try to get one to gobble, or, or you hunt it and it's a one and done deal, and you just hop around. And this past year, and maybe the year before that, I started on it. it I've been concentrating on bigger tracks like Whitewater down in southeast Minnesota. I hunted it quite a bit this year, and it's twenty what twenty something thousand acres or something like oh, that. Yeah, it's bigger than that even. Yeah, I mean, and so you have you don't have to hop in the truck and run over here i mean you can there but some of the areas i would hunt i would plot it out on the map I'm like okay this is where i'm gonna start and i'm gonna work this whole area here and i've got all day i can cover that and and most of the times i didn't make it a quarter of the way and we were killing birds and I, we killed i think three birds or two birds there and had an opportunity at one other in that same area and you know not in the same spots but you know, from the I, same line, same, yeah, same routes. Within three or four ridges, yeah. we killed those birds. So, I mean, that was, that was kind of the strategy I went into this past spring is looking for large chunks. Even like Mississippi and, and Tennessee when I went out of state, you know, I wasn't necessarily looking for, like, where's a spot that's going to have turkeys and I can get into I wanted a, a big track, especially when you're out of state. You want to cover a lot of ground. That was my, my thinking going into it. And, and Mississippi, it we kayaked in there and, and there was some pretty big chunks and covered some ground. I ended up getting one on the second second morning or second day. It was like noon or one o'clock when I finally killed it. But um, that was the strategy I went this year, the big, big chunks. Gotcha. So, so moving on into the topic of getting ready for deer season. Last year, you didn't really do a lot of deer hunting for yourself. You did mostly, it seemed like you did more I did more. I did year. more last year than I did the year prior. The year prior was my first year tracking deer with Cali, and so I, a lot of times I would be headed to the stand in the afternoon, and I'd get a call and I'd just abort those hunting plans. Um, this year, or this past last fall rather, um, I told myself I was going to put some more time, dedicate more time for myself to hunting. I still didn't hunt as much as I normally do, but like I would go say to Wisconsin and, and the year prior I would take Callie with me and because where I was staying I could keep her down there in the kennel and if I got a call I would take it well this past fall I was like I'm going there I'm leaving Callie at home <laughs> if somebody calls me tough yeah and and that and I did let's see the first year I did um was it 38 tracks or or somewhere along that line close close to 40 this past year, it had about 10 less tracks. And so it was, I guess, 10 extra days of hunting if I actually hunted them. So I, I did hunt a little bit more. And this year, I'm, I'm gonna at least hunt that much this year. Cause I mean, with Minnesota legalizing tracking dogs this coming this fall, um, I won't have to travel as far. That was the, big, the biggest hurdle for me the past two seasons. I drive all the way to Wisconsin. So I might be on the road for an hour and a half, two hours to get to a track where, yeah. I imagine now that Minnesota is going to be legal this fall that I can run 30 minutes to a track and, and still maybe have time to hunt, you know, so. So then 
in, in terms of those days that you do have that you are going to give yourself, you're going to want to be pretty pinpoint plan because you're not going to have time to spend a few days to figure it out. You're trying to get a lot of that scouting done now as much as you can at least. Yeah, and, and I've been hunting these marshes and stuff, and that's what I'm concentrating on this year. Um, I've been hunting them. I fell in love with them when I, started, when I moved up here 11 years ago and I started hunting them. But I didn't target, like most people, if they're listening, probably, and they deer hunt, they know who Dan Infault is and his, and his swamp bedding and buck bedding type of deal. And I've watched some of his videos and, and I'm kind of using some of his strategies. You know, my scouting this year was to continue hunting marshes, but maybe try to target buck beds. It just seems intriguing to me to, to go in there and find them. And then, and so I'm, I'm finding spots that I think are going to be good locations. I'm picking out specific trees. And so far I have about 10 or 15 spots that I've scouted through my scouting that I may hunt this one tree opening day. The next opportunity I get to hunt, I'll hunt this spot. And they may be, you know, 30 or 40 miles apart, but that's kind of how I'm going about it. Whereas in the past, when I hunted some of these public spots, I'd find a good travel corridor where I could shoot a doe or whatever. I didn't care what was coming through. I wanted to shoot a deer. And I would sit three days straight in that one tree. And then I'd move to another location and hunt it three days. And my thinking back then was, if I give a trail three days, odds are I'm gonna be on that over that trail on a day that a deer comes by and that was kind of my strategy so this year I'm like you said I'm pinpointing locations I may go in there and hunt it once and then the next time I go to another area and, and I'm not only focusing on buck bedding but I'm also kind of focusing on areas that I'm, I'm gonna have a high likelihood of seeing a deer period yeah and or at least see them out there in, in the marsh and I can kind of adjust because they're not always the same the same setups no no i mean one's one's a, a small island with what looks like a buck bed on the end of it another one is just kind of a little bit higher ground it's not even really an island it's still mucky up in there but um way back behind it some hardwoods and, and there's a bed on the edge of one of those it's so it kind of would be an island of sorts but and some of them are just good areas where there's a lot of trail traffic back and forth and intersections so i mean uh, but each one i've specifically picked out a specific tree to hang my stand in so when i go in there based on the wind and everything the conditions i'll sneak in there quietly and that's something i've really um, been lazy about in the past when i go to a spot that i think is a travel corridor i'm not really worried about deer being bedded near it yeah so I'd just go in there and walk to it, hang my stand, didn't worry right. about too much about noise. And then right at dark, here comes a deer down the trail, you know. This year, I've not only I want to be quieter just because I don't want to risk bumping deer that are going to be close. I mean, but I think that's a good practice anyway. But the other thing is I will potentially be within one spot. It's going to be like 40 yards from where the deer's bedded. And I think it's yeah. the best tree for the situation. And so I've got to be, you know, I was telling you earlier, I've it may take me an hour to close that last 40 yards to the tree and it may take me another half hour or more to get into the tree just to be super slow and quiet because once I get up eight or ten feet I may be able to see into his bed when I was there scouting it didn't look like you could but I wasn't up in a tree just from ground level I was like there's no way he's gonna see me even at 40 yards but that's that's kind of the yeah. what I'm going into this but year. I think one advantage you have over a lot of guys that are starting to pick up the style of hunting is even if you haven't like had that focus in the past, like having had turkey hunting with you, like you know, 
when you're getting on a bird, you know when to kind of turn the switch and get, you know, very precise in everything you're doing mm -hmm. and pick up on little things and, and seeing how, like, all these leaves are, you know, the scratching is fresh. They just mm -hmm. went through here. All these little, little kind of things that a lot of really good hunters, deer hunters anyway, they pick up on those little things. They're, they're not just looking at the map and saying, hey, this is a spot that looks yeah, similar to what trail. I saw on the DVD. Um, so I feel like once you start applying these things, like, you're going to be able to pick it up pretty quick. I, I hope so. I mean, and that's all woodsmanship. I mean, you look at, and, and I could I could touch on that a little bit. You know, there's a lot of people that uh, downplay camo and this and that, and it's like, oh, the, the deer only see shades of gray or they can see a little bit of blue. But I think about the bigger picture. There's other animals out there besides deer. There's turkeys, there's squirrels, there's songbirds. There's all kinds of critters out there that can see color, for instance. That's why I... You know, and it may just be a mental thing for me. I want a camo pattern that that's colored correctly for the what I'm hiding in, and 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 look like what I'm trying to hide in. You know, a lot of people they just want something that breaks up the outline because they're only worried about the deer. I'm yeah. I'm thinking about the whole picture, whether it it's you know actually helps or not. You know, that's beside the point. It doesn't take any effort to extra effort to pick a different pattern. You know, so I mean. So that's kind of the things that I do when I'm out there. I mean, I'm looking at all the, all the clues and 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 whether they help me or not. I I try to, you know, apply them if I think they might help. So what have you been doing in terms of your strategy for getting ready for this fall? Like your exact, you've been walking around finding beds, obviously. But like, what's step one? You're looking at the maps first, I'm assuming, yeah, aerial photos. There's a lot that goes into it, and I'm sure a lot of people use the same strategy. You know, first of all, I'm looking at, you know, I'm trying to find chunks of public, and I'm concentrating on marshes mainly. Uh, the, the biggest thing is it deters other people from going in there. My, my biggest thing about hunting public land is solitude. I don't, I don't care that it's the biggest buck coming through or whatever. I want to be in a spot that gives me an opportunity to see deer and not see hunters. You know, I can go mm -hmm. a week without killing a deer, but as long as I can go out there and it's peaceful and quiet and I don't have people want going under me, that's a big deal for me. So I look for these big chunks of public that have places that people are not likely to go. Not to say they won't go, because I always seem to find an old deer stand or, or like the one place I found a salt block out there in this island that was half a mile out in the marsh. So, um, But that's the first thing I do is look at a map, obviously, and I'm looking for, you know, like on Google Earth, I can go back in the timeline, look for deer trails and see if they maintain these trails each year. And so then I, I, I call that a, um, I forgot the term I used on my map, but basically it's a, it's a, a trail that's used yearly. I mean, it's a, a, a highway. For, it's like a perpetual annual yeah, type it's of trail. A, yeah, it's an annual trail. And then you got these other ones you'll see in the cattails that are here one year and then they fade away. And then, then two years later, it's back again, but in a different route. So it's kind of sporadic. I'm not so concerned about those. And so I'm looking for those annual trails, and then I'm looking for places that I can get to, you know, and access these spots if I think they're going to be, you know, suitable spots. But I'm also I'm just dropping pins, and then I'll go out there and physically you know, check yeah. them uh, by getting some boots on the ground. Um, of course, I'm I'm looking for where the deer might be coming from, if it looks like good bedding, where they're going to, where you know the food source. If there's ag fields this way or whatever, I'm trying to figure out where they're going. Mainly in the afternoons. I don't I don't care to hunt too much in the mornings. Um, I like to sleep in number one, but <laughs> I don't see a lot of deer in the mornings. You know, every once in a while you catch them coming back from a food source or whatever. But um, 
I'm more, my strategy is concentrate on where the deer are going to get up from their bed in the day, in the evening, and head to eat. That's yeah. kind of what I'm looking for. So, Well, I've, I've seen a lot of younger deer moving in the mornings. Even like late, like that doe mm -hmm. that, that Cali tracked last year, that was well over an hour past sunrise. Yeah. That, that you, you'll kind of see that all year long. I, yeah. I see it. And like I said, I've hunted in the mornings. And I don't see a whole lot of deer. But typically when I do see them in the mornings, it's not right at daybreak. It's usually, you know, hours after after light. I mean, it's well light. Occasionally, depending on where I'm at, I've, the few bucks that I've seen in the morning have been right at daybreak. I mean, yeah. like right as it's barely light enough to even see. But as far as the younger deer and the does, I, I tend to see those later in the morning. And I'm not really worried about hunting morning times, especially now that I'm kind of taking some cues from Dan Infault, you know, he, he basically, I, I loved it when he said that, that he doesn't hunt a lot of mornings and stuff. And I'm like, good, I'll just sleep in. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, I'm gonna concentrate in the afternoons and, and because I'm concentrating more on buck bedding. And, and I can tell you now, I'm not gonna wait for a 150 or 160 buck to come out of a bed. If I'm, that bed that I found yesterday that I think looks uh, dynamite, you know, when I sneak in there, if a nice a nice solid eight pointer or something comes through there, you know I'm gonna shoot him. I'm not gonna be mm -hmm. waiting for it. <clears throat> I just want to right now. I'm just playing with the strategy to yeah. see how it plays out. It's like if you just get into turkey hunting, you're not waiting for a monster gobbler. You're probably gonna shoot <laughs> a Jake your first year. You're you're just filling that, out this strategy. And, and I've hunted like I said, I've hunted marshes for for over a decade now, or almost a decade, I guess. And um, and my strategy, you know, I know how to hunt them. It's just now I'm just kind of concentrating on a different subject matter of how yeah. I hunt. well and the other thing too I mean when you think about a public place like that it's like how many beds could you go out there and find if you had a week to go and look dozens and dozens oh, and yeah. dozens right how a, many a week how many, one, <laughs> how many 150 160 bucks are out there probably not that many so it's like how many of those beds that you do find you think hey I just found the big black bed like statistically it's probably not a, a giant no and even even Dan he's you know like he's mastered this for so many years He'll still put in an awful lot of hunts. I don't think a lot of guys realize how much time he puts in before yeah, he, he probably finally hunts gets it done. as much during deer season as I hunt for turkey yeah. in the spring. So I, I hunted what thirty three days this past year. Yeah, he's probably hunting at minimum of that many during the uh, during the fall. And so it's like it's not it's not good odds hunting, but it's your best odds. Potentially yeah. at, at those older class deer on that type and, of and that's kind of my th my thing. I'm I'm not worried about a 150 or 160 or, or bigger deer. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to, out of all the beds, like you said, I've found hundreds of them out there already, and I'm trying to narrow down to which ones are bucks using yeah. and which ones are maybe an older buck, at least three three and a half years old or older. So I may hunt these beds in a in a nice eight or you know bigger come out. Um, there's a good possibility I'll hunt these beds and, and a, a little forker comes walking out. But, you know, we'll see this fall how that that plays out. i got to figure out a way to film my hunts this fall. And, and I don't want to tote a big camera arm in there. And I'm going to probably concentrate on um, action cameras mainly. You may not get to see a tight shot of the deer, but I, I kind of want to document this just to... It's nice to go back and watch these yeah. the footage of it. Well, I'll show you this. After we're done recording this, I'll show you the setup that I got for no camera arm. It's you. You probably could do something pretty similar with the cameras you got. Okay. And mine are pretty specialized for what they do. But well, I'm prepared like to to purchase another one if if it comes to that. Just yeah. to maybe get some uh, higher. Like I know you run a, one on your headband there, 
it'd yeah. be nice to have a little mini camcorder that you know may not be the the top of the line but can get something you can zoom in or whatever even if it's a bow mounted type deal yeah yeah i've, I've played around with all that kind of stuff um so I, i'll have some good insight for for what you might want to try or what you think might work but actually doesn't really work that well because i'm in the same boat i hate carrying that camera mm -hmm. in there hopefully i can get sam to record some of my hunts this year <laughs> It'd be nice to have someone else to help carry some deer out for you. Yeah, my yeah. biggest problem is not carrying the stuff in there. It's breaking it down at the end of each hunt. Because you're always doing it in the dark. Yeah. And it's like you're... And then when it gets cold, you got to deal yeah. with all that metal. And it's it's enough to, to hang a stand and, you know, and and all the other gear you have. And I, I'm, I'm really going... I'm minimizing what I carry this year. Last year, last couple of years, I've been carrying this big, um, this big pack, and it's a nice pack, but it, on its own, empty, feels like it weighs about 10 pounds. And it's, it's got a meat shelf and all this stuff, and I'm prepared when I go out there, if I had to kill a deer, mm -hmm. I've got all the gear in there to clean this deer and, and hopefully carry most of it out in one trip. And I got thinking about it, it's like, you know, you go out there for 20 times, and you kill one a deer on one of those times. And I'm lugging this big, heavy, <laughs> all this gear in this pack every time. Just leave it at the Just truck? Just leave it at the truck, go in there. If you kill a deer, then make one extra trip back to the truck to get it, you know. I mean, you're only gonna have to do that once or twice a season. And then you can make your, like right now, I plan on carrying my bow, my stand, and a little, I don't know if I'm gonna have a fanny pack or what right now, but it's gonna be something for a drink and a flashlight, you know, that's basically it. And it's like it's like kill mode for turkey walk over yeah, a shotgun. Yeah, I dump the turkey vest and everything. I'm, a, I'm basically gonna carry my my bow and my stand is basically what I'm carrying out there. And uh, it'll make it so much more enjoyable, I think, than yeah. what it's been like. Not that I don't enjoy it, just, you know, anytime you put, you work so hard all summer, make the deer hunting a little easier, I guess. Yeah, well, late season too, sometimes I'd like to hunt on the ground more often. They don't have to worry about climbing down when your hands are numb and yeah. stuff. And I did and that last year. You get you get a little chilled. Up, oh, shooting lights done. Get up, start walking. Warm yeah. back up. I did that last year, and I ditched the the stand. And I had some private land in Wisconsin that I had access to hunt too. And even there, he had some preset ladder stands. And so I was leaving my my hang on set up in the truck. I'd walk down there and and find me a spot next to an old fallen oak tree mm -hmm. set beside it and i used to hunt a lot on the ground when i was younger i don't know why i got away from doing it so much i mean i occasionally do it anyway but it just seems like i got to the point where i always wanted to be up where i can see and if you just put yourself in a good spot to see deer and just keep stay alert you can hunt on the ground and it's so much easier like you said as soon as it's you know you're a little chilly and it's the end of the light just get up and start walking you warm up in a hurry you don't have to yeah. sit there and piddle with screwing steps or well and you made a good point it depends so much on what you can see i mean you're hunting a lot of grass and stuff you get up 10 15 feet and you can see so much better yeah. you can see them coming you know well before you would be able to on the ground yeah um but then there's there's other times you get those wide open islands where you're tucked in on the edge kind of right on the cattails and yeah, you don't need to be a tree sometimes a tree can can hinder you with the limbs and stuff and shot opportunities where if you're on ground level if as long as you set up where they can't see or don't bust you you can shoot for 30 or 40 yards in any direction because the yeah. there's no limbs down. But it way. seems to always happen is you get those spots where there's just a little bit of elevation. And even sometimes like when you're turkey hunting on the edge of a field, you go sit down against a tree, you can't see anything. Yeah. The hill has a little, there's a little lip to the edge of the field. 
You some of those islands are the same type of way. You get on the edge where you kind of got some cover, and you you sit down, and you can't see even. Yeah, those islands. The island. Most of them are mounds. Yeah. They're not just up and flat. And uh, one of the small islands I found, and and I've I've kind of ruled that out that I'm gonna hunt it now. It's 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 got deer sign on it, and you can see where they laid down in the grass and bedding. But I just don't think it's those are going to be very productive. And but I did when I went and scouted it. I sat down in the edge in the bushes, and I'm like, this is a perfect spot. I can see e either way. And when a deer comes down, I'm thinking recurve because I'm, I'm gonna try to use my recurve this year. I'm like as soon as it comes by me, I can. And, and hopefully that's the way it works out. But, <laughs> you know, that's an exception. Most of the times, like you said, those islands are a big mound and yeah. you, you can't shoot very far in those. Mm -hmm. So what are you looking for other than beds right now to kind of say like, like we, t we touched on, on food a little bit where you said like you're looking at maps to see like what's close. Yeah. But how, how's that playing into you right now when you find a bed and you're thinking, I think he's, I think he's feeding that maybe on, on these forbs and grasses now, he might hit this field, he might hit these oak trees, like how much is that? Plant? A lot of it's a big guess. And one of the, one of the strategies I, I do, I do um, do when I'm out there scouting <laughs> is um, I ride around, you now you can see on the maps where ag fields are on mm -hmm. private a lot of times, I'll ride around if I can see them from the road, I actually drop a pin and mark what's grown in there this year. And the beans or corn yeah, or this, whatever and this has got and then some fields are split up into like rye or or whatever grass tall grass is growing in between like one spot has corn and then all this grass and so i'm marking all that on there and then over here there's oaks and and there's so much food out there a deer's like a goat i mean they can basically eat anything i've seen them eat cattails i've seen them eat um what is it um stinging nettles you know i've seen them eat all that stuff the tops of the nettles even in the summer when they don't need to be eating something like that. But they, I guess they, they know what part they can eat. But anyway, I, I'm a little off subject. I'm not so concerned about what they're browsing on or nibbling on. I'm looking for the main food sources. Okay, deer, no matter how much abundance of food they have out there, if there's a bean field, they end up in the bean field at night or they end up in these hardwoods at night at some point. So I, I kind of look for what's the main attraction. Mm -hmm. If you start trying to worry about all the the um brows and uh and what's, what's the name of the stuff they eat um all the forbs and grasses or whatever yeah. else is out there anyway um you're going to drive yourself crazy trying to because it's everywhere it's I, everywhere right now for sure yeah exactly <laughs> now in, in the winter when the fall comes you're gonna you know there's gonna be crops and, and oaks and stuff and you want to concentrate on um one thing I mentioned in one of these, my scouting videos I did recently was a maple tree. And I think I mentioned to you before, it seems like anytime I can find a lone maple tree, especially in these marshes I hunt, like right on the edge of a marsh, it always seems to have good deer activity in the fall, right when the leaves are turning and they're dropping. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if they're, if it's like a sugar maple and the leaves are sweet to them or what the, the attraction is. I've always had good luck around maple trees as far as seeing deer. It seems like the does come in, and it's mostly does and stuff, yearlings I see, but the deer seem to love eating on them. So anytime I find a maple tree by itself, like one of those islands I found, a big maple all by itself, I'll drop a pin. That may be a spot if I just want to shoot a doe or, or put some meat in the freezer that I target a trail next to that maple. And yeah. um, otherwise, I'm. My main thing right now this year, because I am kind of more concentrating on bedding, 
is looking for where the main dry land is because I think that's where they're going to head. You know, there could be you know a tamarack tree or 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 a willow tree out here that has a bed under it. Where's the trail that goes by? And you can see this on maps a lot of times. But if I was there in person, I also marked the trails of which way they were going. And I take pictures all the time mm -hmm. on my phone. I have the GPS on on my phone, and those photos I can open up in Google Photos, and it shows me exactly on on Google Maps where that picture was taken. And it's private, so no one else can see it, of course. But um, I'm looking at okay, where what trail is this deer likely to hit? You know, based on what's down that trail like a big mainland over here even if it's near suburb i mean housing development you know, mm -hmm. deer love to go up in there and nibble on the bird feeders or whatever else they have the people have their gardens and whatnot so that's another thing i concentrate on so i'm basically trying to figure out where's a deer going to head once it gets out of bed and then my strategy is okay where do i need to set up to intercept this deer and uh so that's kind of how right now i'm looking at it. my main thing right now is finding them and I'm taking pictures of specific trees while I'm there. And then, you know, as I accumulate it, which I'm getting close to finishing accumulating all this, I've, I've hit a bunch of public lands tracks. I've got two more I want to hit mm -hmm. before the summer's out. And, and then all these 30 or 40 spots that I have on there, I'm going to pick the higher odds, what I think are higher odds spots, and those are the ones I'm going to target. Yeah. Do you <clears throat> have particular spots that you're kind of saying, hey, these are going to be north wind access spots, these are going to be south wind access spots, or are you just kind of collecting what are right the best now, spots I'm, right I'm now? Right now, I'm not worried about the wind. I do give that a thought. It's like some of these spots I was at this island, like, okay, if, if the main thing is how do I approach to hunt that spot to begin with? Yeah. Wind's irrelevant. How do I get in there quietly? And then I get to think about the wind, and the predominant wind is usually north, northwest, or something like that. Occasionally, you get a, a south or east wind. Um, but that's I'm not really giving that a whole lot of thought right now. I'm basically just gathering up all my mm -hmm. spots, and then then I will probably I don't know if I'll color code them or I'll do something on my mapping app that I'll say or my list or wherever I have it all stored, and I'll have all these stands listed. Okay, these are good south wind stands. These are that way I can just look at the weather for that day or the yeah. next day and say, okay, this is the list I have to choose from. It kind of narrows down to keep my mind from getting cluttered with too much info. Mm -hmm. so, so you're gonna try and hit it hard early season, and are you gonna hope to like try and fill your tag early? Or are you planning on if you're gonna spread these hunts throughout the course of the season and try to try to you know stay fresh and current and hope that those beds are being used throughout the year? Well, ideally, I'd like to be successful early on. Yeah, and uh, and I want to to get at least four or five hunts in, you know, uh, with with sightings or. I'd like to kill at least you know two or three deer this year, a buck and a couple of does for the freezer. Last year I only got one doe, and that's because I tracked a lot, and uh, and you know that doesn't go very far. You know, one deer right, right. when you eat it often. Um, but I'd like to to at least kill a few, two or three deer, minimum of two deer this year for the freezer. I think if I have a successful February, uh, February September, that I'm not going to be so. You know, hard up to to hunt the rest of the the season. I'll probably spend dedicate more time tracking. On the days when it gets slow, then I, I might slip out. There's especially I've got Wisconsin as an option too to to hunt. You know, so well, heaviest weeks of tracking are probably <clears throat> first two weeks in November, last week October, right? Was that? Last, oh yeah, yeah. When tracking. it gets close to the rut, that's when when tracking just 
calls just skyrocket. And I mean, like I was on the road last year, and I, the year before I did it, I I was you know I'm off during the week. I, I get my 40 hours during the weekend, three days, and so I'm off during the week to track and and to hunt. Most of my calls come in on the weekend, of course, but except for during the rut because everyone's taking their rut vacation. Mm-hmm. And it's it gets hectic. I mean, I'm driving to a track and I'm getting calls and I'm trying to jot stuff down. I, a lot of times I have to pull over so I can write this down. Before I can even get driving again, I'm getting another call that may be in the area. And so I'm, you know, you're between tracking and handling calls to go for your next track and, and get all the information. It gets hectic. And so, I mean... You pretty much have to give up hunting for that that rut period, or you know, there's yeah, no so way you can manage. So you definitely want to try and get done yeah. as early as you can. And I like I like warmer weather. I'm from the south, yeah. so I don't <laughs> like being out there when it's cold. Now I've hunted in 10 degree weather and it's windy, and and I've toughed it out through that st- sort of stuff. And I hunted what last year, the year before, I think last two years I hunted, which would be the rut period, I guess, like no. November 10th or 11th somewhere in that area and I saw deer and stuff it was nice and it was a but it was those mornings that it was you know 15 or, or 20 degrees but no wind and it was sunny I can yeah. deal with those I don't like when it gets super cold the 15 mile an hour north wind and yeah and overcast I, I, <laughs> count me out I mean at least with tracking I, I, you're moving when you're tracking and so you stay warm um, the only thing you get the sniffles a lot when you're out there your nose runs but otherwise um yeah, if I can get it done, I'd said by September. I mean, even if I go into October, and, and don't get me wrong, I enjoy like when you get close to Halloween. Yeah, and that time of the fall of hunting, I really like that the scrapes are popping up everywhere and the rubs, the deer, the bucks are really starting to to get in the mood. Um, I enjoy that, but you know, my biggest uh, enjoyment is the strategy right now, the chess game. Because yeah. that, that's what it is almost with these buck betting. You're, okay, here's where I think he's going to be or one could be. How can I get in there and get in a position to get this specific deer? I don't know which deer it is, but I know, whereas the way I've hunted in the past, just travel routes, it's like any deer could come down there. And I, yeah. now you just go set up and wait. Where this is more of a game like, um, uh, not a game, but, you know, a strategy like in turkey hunting where I roosted a bird the evening before down with this guy that was from Illinois this past season. He came up to hunt. We we got him to gobble in the evening. We went back to the room. I'm looking at maps. I'm looking at topos. Okay, where would he most likely be roosted? You know, I didn't know exactly where it was, and I kind of guessed he was on this point. You know, now we got to get in there the next morning. There's a private land boundary. we got to avoid that. We're, you know, it was a whole big strategy. And then the next morning, he was roosted right where I thought he was. He flew down and walked right up to us and killed him. So that's kind of what I'm applying this year. I want to take mm-hmm. that strategy. It's so much more enjoyable than just sitting there watching a trail where deer are just going to come by, or you hope they come by. But. Yeah. Yeah, it, that's why I, I kind of like it too. And I think that's why also I, instead of just focusing on one tract of land over the last you know five, ten years, I've kind of like you, I got a huge library on my, I had to start deleting waypoints on my Onyx because I had too many waypoints saved. <laughs> they, they capped me at 1,500 and I couldn't save any more waypoints. I've I seen just, your maps. I had to start deleting they're, stuff. They're crazy. <laughs> Even Aaron, Aaron, Aaron Warbritton mentioned to me about how, either me or he was on the, one of the videos, he mentioned how much information you store in your apps and you're dropping pins for every little thing. Mm-hmm. And, 
you know, to some it might be overkill. And I'm sure if you looked at mine, you can't even see like an island when you're zoomed out for all the pins that are on there. And then when you zoom in, it's like, all right, here's a maple, here's a rub, here's a scrape. And I found it again this year, you know, two years in a row, and mm-hmm. I put the date on there, you know. Um, here's a trail. I mean, there's a lot of pins on that, and it, and it helps, you know, when you, it's better to have too much information sometimes, but it also can hurt you. But I'd rather have more than I need than to wish that I'd been more thorough in my scouting when I was out, actually out there on that island. Yeah. And then, you know. Yeah, a lot of times I try to keep it even somewhat simple on, 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 the, uh, on the mapping side of things where I'll mark potential beds and potential tree stand spots, and I'll have those with certain waypoints and then get out there, confirm whether, once they're confirmed, then I change the waypoint to something else, and then I might move the tree stand, you know, mm-hmm. 30 yards to where the actual good tree is, and then, you know, draw the little access trail. So a lot of times, most of the stuff on my map, if I have a white oak, I'll mark that. Yeah. But it's, it's just that simple, but then you zoom out and you look at 30,000 acres, yeah, it looks like it's just solid color, because yeah. there's so many of those types of scenarios mapped out. Yeah, I think I think if you what we're doing is if we broaden our areas and and pick specific spots, even if it is multiple chunks, I think it's it'll be more beneficial than like like I've done in the past and maybe you've done. Like I would hunt this one chunk of public, and that's where I spent my whole mm-hmm. season. I was hunting this stand, and I'd go over here, and you know and especially if I saw, you know, an area that I thought was really good. I, I spent a lot of time in there, and then a lot of times I didn't see anything while I was out there. Or I'd see another hunter, and that kind of, uh, kind of, uh, somebody's hunting in this area also, and it, and it kind of just, you know, takes the air out of my cells. And, and so um, this year, I think, with so many, even the different public tracks, but having specific good spots that we think might be good spots that you can just fall back on. And, yeah. and it's always something new. You're not looking at the same trees or, or a little opening in the woods and that you've hunted for two days straight and now you're just sitting there like this, looking around like, oh, why am I even here? I'm not gonna see anything. Every time I go to a new spot, and that's the same with turkey hunting, I can go out of state. A lot of people ask me, how do you pick your spots? And I'm like, oh, I look for something that just looks turkey. You know, what does, if it has all the elements, then I go in there and hunt. It may be the worst piece of public in the world, but the fact that I don't know that, I go in there with a lot of optimism and, and I'm in a good mood about it. And I think yeah. by having all these spots that each day that I hunt, it's a new spot, it's a new day of hunting, I'm gonna have that optimism. I'm gonna be there you know, on alert, waiting for a deer to pop out at any moment. Yeah, well it's nice to have those, all those options mapped out for an A, B, and C, um, even if you haven't scouted it on foot, because there's been times where I'm I marked this spot that looks super remote, looks really good. It's got a lot of the textbook type of, of stuff that you would look for. And then make this big grand scheme, take this this perfect access route in there. And I come to find out there was some non-marked access trail that, that four <laughs> trucks use. And it's just, you, the sun Been comes there. up and it's loaded with hunters and hunter sign and start leaning deer. It's like, yeah, we'll just cross all those, all that stuff off the map. I, that happened to me this past turkey season. I climbed this, this hill and went up this, 45 degree mountain almost <laughs> and I get to this top and there's a there's an access trail that goes wraps around snakes around the backside it would have been so much easier I'm like what in the world you know but you know you, you couldn't see it on the map it wasn't yeah. identified and so I, yeah I know what you're talking about 
Mm-hmm. I, that's one thing I like about hunting marshes. It's flat. You don't have to go up any hills. I mean, the only thing trouble is walking in the mud, but I'd rather do that than walk up hills like in the bluff country. The other thing I don't like about the marsh is the, the poison sumac. Although oh, yeah. I mean, I've got it on my yeah. arms. I don't know. You probably can't see it. But you it's don't there. get it. You don't get it that bad. No. The last time we went out together, it looked like I had Popeye with a sunburn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, I'd, I used to get bad uh, allergic reactions to poison oak when I was younger. And I don't know if my immune system, if I got, as I got older, has done changed. But now poison oak, I crawled through it one time turkey hunting. And it was a turkey I was after, and I looked down and saw that I was crawling in it, and I was like, I don't care, I'm gonna, you know, I'll itch a little bit, I'm good at this turkey, and I, I hardly got anything, and it's been like that for for years now. It's, it hardly affects me, and then we got in that poison sumac, and it it itched my arms a little bit in a few bumps, but it tore you up, and yeah, and then I just got into it again out there scouting. I was careful trying to avoid it, but I must have missed a few and, and rubbed against it. Um, it's broke out a little bit but it's not severe it's just around my wrist and stuff and just itches a little bit but yeah i've I've got pretty much a mental note of anything and everything that could possibly cause my skin to break out because i'm pretty set like you know all the poison whatevers um wild parsnip yeah that's a big one that's the one thing i haven't i don't know how to identify wild parsnips and I don't think I've encountered it, and I hope I don't. Yeah. Apparently, it's pretty bad. I, I got it a couple times, and it, it's it's pretty bad. Yeah, yeah, it's you gotta get the liquid on your or get it on your skin, and then expose the it to the sun, yeah. and then it chemical like, reaction. It's like pouring hot grease on your arm. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't it, it never hurt? Whenever I had it, there was no just pain makes associated. Your skin it didn't really itch that bad, but yeah, you got just monster. That's what I'm saying. It, it makes it look like somebody had poured hot grease on it. Maybe yeah. not feel like that, yeah. but so it, it looks, looks like burns. It's like yeah. a chemical burn. And you get a little bit of scarring from it too. Yeah, so lasts for a couple of weeks. Hopefully, I don't ever have to deal with that. Yeah. Well, anything else that is scouting related that you're either looking forward to doing or, or think is noteworthy? Hmm. Yeah. The, the one thing that I'm surprised I haven't found. I've been I've been looking for a lot of old rubs. I found some. Yeah. But I'm not. I'm not. S- you think as many rubs as produced every fall, they would be scarred up on the trees, you know. And I'm not I'm not finding a whole lot of that, and that's got me kind of worried in some of these areas where I find a bed that, you know, even some of these beds I know are buck beds. There's a rub mm-hmm. next to it, an old rub, but I'm not seeing them. If you're going down the trail to the woods, yeah, I'm not seeing any one or two here yeah. and there. I think that's super area specific, and and could be indicative of what's there in terms of age structure. Because there's some areas I go to where I know that, like you said, I'm finding buck pads, but there's just not a lot of rubs. And there's there's certain areas where it's rubbed up more than others. Um, where it's just like the, the specific cover type or certain size and type mm-hmm. of trees that will always have rubs on them. Um, but then there's other areas where the place is just torn up. Yeah. And if that's just every a, single tree, if it's just a competition thing. Like like a different like when we went to southeast Minnesota, some of the spots were in there like that where it's just it was torn up everywhere. There's a there's a much higher deer density down that way, um, obviously than up here. Um, where did I see the the deer density for one of the areas I hunt a few years back, and it wasn't great. I mean it was it was okay. That's one of the things that concerns me though. Some of these places I hunt, you 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 see a lot of deer sign. It's not tremendous, but obviously there's 
deer out there because there's beds and there's tracks. But a lot of these areas I hunt have not only a lot of hunting pressure from the public because it is around the metro uh, for the most part within an hour in any direction. So you got, and plus there's a lot of people yeah. outside yeah. the metro. So there's potential of a lot of hunting pressure there. But then some of these have private land because they're marshes, they can, they, they have tower stands right on the border. Yeah. And they can shoot in here and you think, okay, how many deer actually survive in this thing that make it to the next year? Because one of the ones I've, I'm going out to scout next year, I mean next week, sorry, that I haven't hunted in a couple of years, but I used to hunt there. And I killed a few deer in there. But I went out there in, uh, I guess, was it November or, or later? It was like 10 degrees that morning. And I hunted for a while, and then I was walking out in the marsh, just kind of walking around, and I found six gut piles from gun season. And the gun season wouldn't last a week or two. And I'm like, if I stumbled on six gut piles just by happen chance, yeah, how many deer got killed on this property? I mean, it must have been a pile of them. So, I mean, you, it gets you thinking, how many deer are actually surviving in this one particular area? And, and maybe, the, I mean, I'm sure there's a deer every once in a while it makes it to an older age and you're a bigger yeah. buck but you know that's the, that's the only kind of thing in my back of my mind is am i going to go out there and and even though there's deer sign is it the same five deer trumping <laughs> around this place over the course of a week that well that's a that's a trail cameras can hope that's the intent hopefully they get you that data yeah and i, I got some private land that i'm that i have access to to hunt i hunted it last year and shot my doe um and uh and that was kind of the reason i went up there because just from tracking i didn't have a whole lot of time i was like i'll just go hop up and stand there's there seemed to be a lot of deer there mm -hmm. and i shot a doe and i've just went and put cameras at it today i put four cameras out i think um there is um a little bit of a creek with some cattail type terrain that i'm really looking forward to possibly hunting uh, there's a good trail crossing on the creek and and i just love that um I don't know what it is about a cattail marsh. I guess because a deer can just pop up anywhere. Because, I mean, they could be laying anywhere out there. And you can almost always hear them before you see yeah, them. Yeah, exactly. And and they feel safer there. And, then, and so there's a possibility of all-day action, really, in some of these places. Even though they have crop fields on this private and hardwoods and stuff, I'm looking to hunt that because I think it's going to be a good travel route and stuff. And so, you know, I've got that to fall along to. But I... Last year, it took him, the landowner, or the, the guy that has the rights to hunt it, kept inviting me up there and, come on, man, come up here and hunt. I'm like, I don't know. It's something about public land that keeps drawing me to it. I, mm -hmm. I don't know the challenge or whatever, but um, I don't want to be, be a snob to, to hunting private. I will hunt it, obviously. <laughs> um, but how much will I get on that private this year? I don't know. It's, it's kind of a little drive for me, but, and it, the hunting's obviously good there. But there's nothing like the, especially with all the work I put in so far this summer scouting these yeah. public spots. I want to. That's act. just that's just it. You get more. It's more of a rewarding feeling knowing that you put in that. I'm work. invested. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I if I go in there and do all this scouting this summer and then don't hunt, then I feel like I just wasted all my time. So, I kind of in mentally, I, I I have to hunt it some, to make my work this summer worth it. So. Yeah, that makes sense. But that's for the rest of the summer. I. Like I said, I only got a couple more properties to hunt or scout, and then I'm 
I'm not going to do a whole lot of scouting other than that. I mean, I may, on the private, may change cameras out, check cameras every once in a while or something. Maybe go pre-hang a stand in a spot that I think's a likely good spot and let it sit there until season comes in. But that's basically right now I'm just picking specific trees, and next week it might be the last week I do that, and then it'll be September, mid-September before I get in the woods again. Yeah, well, I mean, we were talking about this before we started recording, that a lot of that stuff you're doing now, the best time to do it is in February, yeah. March time frame. Because yeah. you can get the same information, you can see better, and and you're not busting your balls through all that. Yeah, that you showed me your drone sweaty. footage from March, and, and, yeah. and I'm I kick myself because the last couple of years I've been meaning to get out there. But, you know, with my turkey hunting uh, and my video on my turkey hunt, so for the, my YouTube channel, you know, that's when I'm getting all fired up for turkey, and I'm thinking turkey. Yeah. I mean, deer's not even on the radar. I've got shows I go to in January or February or whatever, and and in March I'm turkey hunting already in Florida. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you were out there in March deer scouting, and yeah. and and here I am out there turkey hunting. And the last thing I want to do is scout, but I'm kicking myself like right now because you know I see your drone footage, and I'm like, man, it would have been so much easier to be out there scouting. And, and I'm out there sweating right now and, and going through muck and the deer flies are horrendous mm-hmm. and the mosquitoes are biting me and then you're getting into the poison sumac and I'm like, life would have been a lot easier if I'd just yeah. done it then. But then what would I do during the summer? <laughs> Fish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, that's, I like to get it to the point where the only time I have to go out in the woods in the summer to do deer scouting is if there's someplace new and I just, I just can't wait until the season. I got to yeah. figure out what I got to see. What it looks like I got to see if there's somebody you got to stand back there, or if there's scent wicks, or if it just looks really good, yeah. or if it's if it's wide open, or if it's super thick. Stuff that you just can't really get from looking at an aerial photo. Yeah, I've, and I've I've liked what I've found so far in my scouting this summer. I've only found one spot that had human sign, and like I said, that one was a deer stand like. 30 feet up in a tree and obviously it looks like something there there's perched so they can hunt the marsh during gun season i mean it wasn't put in yeah. a strategic area yeah, to watch a, a trail of, i see a lot of that type of stuff where you got those yeah. those stands and who knows that, how long that stand's been there because yeah. the screwing steps that were in the tree look like they'd they've been grown over yeah they're starting to grow over and either he hunts it every year or he or somebody put it up and never returned to it and it's been there for two or three yeah seasons. and that, that's one of the one of the only issues with people leaving stands out there you see a stand and it's like you gotta kind of evaluate like does this look like a stand that likely will get used and sometimes i just look at the deer sign around there and try to evaluate that like if i find a stand like that and looks kind of old and there's a bunch of like really good deer sign i figure he's probably not hunting there that much i found a good hunting spot next to the stand or not far from it 40 yards from it and after looking at the stand and evaluating that it's been there a while even if and judging by where it was placed it was probably a gun season stand later in the season mm-hmm. it didn't deter me that I'll, if i decide to hunt that location I'm, it's not going to bother me that it's yeah. there i'll just walk but it does kind of stick in your mind that if it gets closer to gun season it's like oh that guy might be coming out here i'm gonna probably hunt a different spot yeah i'd probably hit one of those locations like the first couple of weeks of the season mm-hmm. and, and then abandon it obviously the, like the one spot i found where i think there's a buck bed right on the end of an island i got two points i could watch it um that's going to be a, like a one or two and done deal i may depend on the wind hunt one of the points hopefully get eyes on deer and then it may not come the next day but maybe come back you know a week later and, and do the same thing mm-hmm. if i don't see a deer there you know maybe even 
after the second set, walk out there and look and see if the bed has even been used since I found it. I mean, to me, it looked like there was some greenery growing in it, but it was the ground was so bare and, and packed down from years or use or constant use that yeah. the vegetation was having trouble growing there. So it didn't look like it was being used right now, but it looked definitely looked like something that might be used this fall or, or you know, as deer season approaches. Were there, people were, there push. Oaks, were there oaks nice to that spot? Yeah, just on on the inland where the point yeah. that I'd be hunting. There so, was a so white that, oak and some red that oaks. That could be one of those things where he might not be bedding there now because he might have better food source right now. Yeah, but when the, the acorns start dropping, start dropping he'll bed there to, yeah. to hit the acorns at dark. So maybe that's a you know not a necessarily opening day, but an opening week stand you know, at some point in the first week of the season. Well, last year the, oak, the acorns were just raining opening oh, day. Oh, yeah, it was horrible, the amount of acorns. I mean, I wouldn't say it's horrible. I, I, I enjoy uh, seeing a good mast. Um, because I know that means that the deer and the turkeys and all have a food source to help them get through these tough winters up here. So, you know, I don't, you know, one of my strategies years ago was to look for that, that white oak that was dropping and no other oaks were. Um, I never had much, much success finding that lone white oak. If one's dropping, there's a lot of them dropping, it seems like. Yeah, you can find one that they they will come to it seems like but nowadays i just look okay are the acorns dropping and which ones the white oaks are they are they dropping pretty good you know and that on that situation where that bed is in those two points there's a white oak on one that looks big enough to produce acorns and then there's another white oak on the other one that looks too young it might produce one or two acorns but that's about it i got it but there's more oaks up in the mainland in this situation i got to figure out which point is he most likely to travel to based on you know the yeah. situation and that's that's what i'm concerned with and i think i i think i know which one it has well i think that's one of those spots where you just you set up in the first the first point whatever whatever point is closer to your access i would think that's what i'm saying on the wind and then you whichever one doesn't hunting. ruin your chance for yeah. a second sit yeah yeah and yep. that i think that's the the one closest to my access because he either comes by and gets shot or he goes to the other one. And then the next time I go, I'll go past the first one and I go to the second one. Knowing my odds, he'll go to the, <laughs> the first one. It's yeah. another for the yeah. day before him blow out. And then, yeah, <laughs> go running out across the marsh. Yep. Oh, if I see him head that way, I just get out of my stand and, and go boogie up to the woods. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or shot a flashlight and make him spook off. <laughs> Yeah, I'm. I'm looking. I'm looking forward to it. And I mean, unfortunately for me, and well, fortunately and unfortunately, that whole first week I'm pretty much gonna miss. Yeah, you're going to Colorado, Colorado elk hunting. Yeah. Dang elks. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to get do out there, uh, get out there and do that something one year. But if I go out there, I might have to have some horses or something to pack these things out. Uh, I just can't see myself packing three miles of elk three miles out you know yeah. four trips it, it can be that's a quite a it can, yeah you almost yeah doing a solo elk you got to have the right the right setup for that too no matter how good a shape i think you're in turkey you turkey turkey hunting is basically elk hunting for feathered creatures you know so yeah. i'll just stick to turkey <laughs> <laughs> yeah my um you know i work weekends and that's usually when the opening day kicks off and and I usually don't take 
a day off to hit that opening week because then what happens is I go opening day and I'm out there with everybody. Yeah. And then and then I have to like if sometimes I swap with a coworker. I'll have them work the weekend and I'll work a weekday for them. Mm-hmm. Then the weekdays come and I, I don't have but like two weekdays off because I swapped and then I'm kicking myself. Oh, I could have had the days when no one's out here. So yep. I'm, I'm excited to hunt some of these buck beds. So I'm really tempted to, to either take the day off or swap with a coworker this year. Um, but at the same time, I'd be nice to get out there. Some of these spots, I don't think I'm going to have to worry about other hunters. I mean, that's just it. If nobody else is hitting those very pinpoint I can spots, wait till, it doesn't matter if it's yeah, a couple I can, days or I, The only thing I'd go out there is because I can't wait any longer. I'd yeah. take the day off. It's not because I'm worried about somebody's going to get to it first um, type of deal. So if I can just be patient. Normally what I do is as it gets closer, I look at the long-term forecast. If the forecast in the weekend looks better than the weekdays, then I'll swap yeah. or, or vice versa. So that's kind of my strategy there. I don't, I don't like hunting in the rain. Um, I, I Neither like, do your cameras. Well, I just don't like hunting in the rain. <laughs> I don't like getting wet. You know, like turkey season, uh, a lot of people are like, oh, you can't kill on the couch. So I'm like, I, I enjoy sitting on the couch dry more than I would sitting out <laughs> in the woods when I'm wet. So I'll watch turkey hunting then. <laughs> so what is, what is your strategy this year? Basically the same or? Yeah, so when I get back, I mean, for the months of basically that last week of September through October, basically just be bed hunting where based on all the scouting we've been doing, you know, just island hopping for the most part. And is that how you're going to attack it all season? Um, no, up to the road? not necessarily. So, so basically up through, you know, that end of October period, that's what I'll mainly be doing. And if it's like the stuff we would scout, it'll be island hopping and just kind of going in deeper mm-hmm. each time, um, depending on whether it's a, you know, north wind that day or south southerly wind um that'll determine where i would go and how deep i'd go in but then i think as it as it gets closer to that last week of october first week of november because this week the minnesota gun season is a little bit later it's they, not early like it was last uh, year they moved it back yeah it's like the ninth or tenth i think opener this year when was it last year the third, third yeah. oh yeah that's nice then so I think whereas that earlier season it's it's as close as you can get to the bed try and find try and scouting out like on on the fly to find the, the food source right like hit that island that you wanted to get to and if it looks hot there's no tree dropping like on it and if not just move to the next island whereas like as it gets to that last week of october then i start looking for more like like oh there's a scrape that just popped up on this island mm. like i'm gonna hunt it now Versus if like, oh, there's not that. So yeah, I guess that, that's kind of the strategy that, that Dan talks about, finding that, that hot sign to yeah. know that the deer's moved in there now. And, and I guess that's, I'll adjust mine to that also if, mm-hmm. I, if I'm in a spot and I see. One of the things, you know, like you were mentioning, okay, you're, you're progressively going to move in farther. Yeah. There's some of these spots I've found that, that has okay looking bedding on these islands, but the really good stuff is on the last one so it's like do you just go straight do to i jump straight one? in there or do i risk and risk him actually being on one of these lesser islands well i think you just gotta when you go in there the first time because like for one you're not going to have 60 days in the field to knock these off one by one yeah so that's going to play into it so i think you go into the first one and you just observe like is there anything fresh attack. is there fresh tracks on it the big tracks if not you just keep walking to that second you keep going until the sign says i need to hunt this one one thing I'd I'd like to figure out, you know, is when people use this this strategy is how do they exit 
their stand. You never see anybody talk about that at dark when you get down. Yeah. Well, if it's a spot and I'm not going back to for at least a couple of weeks, I'll just, I won't even worry about it. I'll just, just throw every, I'll, I'll literally toss the climbing sticks down. Um, yeah, I'm usually carrying noise anyway, getting out of a tree in the evening. Yeah, headlamp, like doesn't doesn't matter. If I'm gonna be maybe making a slight change, like maybe I'm moving over like 100 yards for the next day or something to hit like a little different batting off like a you know secondary point or something, then I'll try and be a little bit more stealthy. Yeah, I mean, because that's, that's one of the things I've always thought about. Okay, say you're hunting a bed that's if you, that you've crept into and it's 60 yards away and and maybe you heard something get up but it didn't come down the trail you're at but then you didn't know where it went you know you heard yeah. it moving but now where's it at and it's dark do you make a lot of noise and and so he doesn't bust you or do you try to sneak out of there and then they bust you anyway i mean what is kind i don't of just, know if there's a good answer for it yeah you just gotta get out there usually i've always probably try and be <clears throat> stealthy my my thing i've always done i don't know how well this would work i've always turned on a my headlamp and just yeah. look all the way around look for eyes any deer see it usually they're puzzled they're like looking up and their heads be bopping like this up in the towards the tree when you do see one and then they run off and i've always thought okay they probably didn't associate that with a hunter or a person they just yeah here's a light up in the tree well so here, back to your example of you, you get that deer that you can hear or see or whatever but he didn't come right underneath you you don't know exactly where he ended up like would your would your goal with trying to be stealthy getting out of there be like that you would come back to that same tree because what's to say that well if you no didn't then do that my the goal would night, be my goal would be get out of there undetected so i could hunt the same area maybe not the same tree yeah i don't i don't want to blow like him out of there where he wouldn't yourself yeah a little where, bit, uh, i'd want him to bed in that same yeah. bed again you know so i mean i don't know like you said i this probably isn't a good answer anything could happen and it being dark Deers, a deer's persona changes and, and the way they go about things changes drastically when it's pitch dark and when it's daylight. Yeah, so some of that probably depends on age, class, and personality, mm -hmm. how much they're gonna tolerate that or not. You might be just fine, you might be able to come back to the same, I know I know for a fact, I know of guys that have done a bed hunt like that, come back the next day and shoot a, a big deer, big mm -hmm. old deer. Um, yeah, even if it's not the same deer, another one might right. take that bed, but. Right, I think a lot of times we like to think that, you know, if it's a, it has to be a totally virgin set, and if you got your scent in there once, like you might as well not come back to that same tree. But if you didn't come through the first night, I, that, there's, there's never, there's never any absolutes in deer hunting. So, ideally, like in the video uh, where Dan sees climbs up in his trees and he see antlers. That's what I'd like for every buck bed to be, yeah. <laughs> where I can slip them a tree 40 or 50 yards away, and then by the time I get up there, I can see antlers, tines sticking up. Then I know there's one there. There's been a couple of his videos where he literally the deer stands up, there goes the arrow. Yeah, that's cool. I just I wish he would do more videos, uh, just to just you know, showing his setup and out there, even if he doesn't see anything, just explaining why and what he's thinking yeah well, i think those guys that go to like the scouting workshops and stuff i think a lot of those guys that have been to it they say it's a big eye opener because you get you get some stuff from the website and the dvds but actually being there in person they're like oh i didn't realize it was this close type of thing yeah and and that like i said that one spot that i i'm gonna be 40 yards away but i think there's enough cover 
that if I do it quietly enough, I can get up there and see it. Then there's other ones that just frustrate me. Like the one that's out there, out there in the marsh a little bit. There's a tamarack tree. There's a couple tamarack trees, and they're obviously well-worn beds. Mm -hmm. There's multiples. So I could see it one deer using, you know, based on how it feels or whatever. Is it the same deer using multiple trees? Yeah, or is it, or is it multiple deer, deer using it because it's good spots? It's tamarack with a big shelf of dirt. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, there's no way to get out here to hunt this. I mean, you're, you're anywhere from 200 yards or more from the land. And I mean, I guess you could find, if you're lucky, I didn't see any tamarack trees out there big enough to get up into, you know, maybe that's a, a stepladder location. <laughs> yeah. And you put it right behind a bush, but they'd hear you. I mean, you just gotta, and there's so many trails coming out of there. Which, which tamarack are they at? in this triangle of tamaracks, and then which trail they're gonna take. And you climb, you go out there and you stand in the marsh and then nothing comes by you. But those are kind of frustrating to me personally, just because I know there's some good bedding there and I don't see a logical way to attack yeah. it. So I'm, I'm still gonna think on it because they're not far from that other one I've got to hunt. And if I hunt it and nothing shows up, I may even give that spot two days, you know, two attempts, maybe not two days back to back. And then, if I come up with a strategy to hunt those out in the tamarack, out in the tamar or out in the marsh, then go go about doing that. Yeah, those are usually those type of spots. I really like waiting until firearms, then get into a tree where you can observe and you get up thirty feet, and see someplace nice distance. and high, so you can you can actually have a good panorama of some of those trails. Yeah, especially because there's not always cattails. It might be like that shorter grass type stuff. Yeah, there, I did see a, one little clear, and it was similar to that, and I could see a, a gun being. Uh, useful in that situation. It's just, the problem is I don't gun hunt. I'm not opposed to it. I've thought about getting me a, a slug, <laughs> slug barrel for my, my turkey gun, but uh, I usually don't even worry about gun. By the time gun season comes in, it's you know in November and I'm winding down anyway mm -hmm. from hunting. I'm, and I'm about had enough. I'm thinking about. Starting I have a plan, switch. I have a plan turkey trips. Yeah, I have a switch <laughs> in my head that like. Before turkey season was over the year before, now this year I made it all the way into turkey season, I wasn't ready to quit turkey hunting. The year before, I think it was because I jumped a really nice buck while I was turkey hunting the last week, and, and I, I went out there, I couldn't wait for the last week of turkey season to, to end so I could put trail cameras out. Yeah. And, and, and I scouted a lot last summer, and, and, and I hunted a, you know, a decent amount based on what I had to do with Cali, but um, by the time the season rolled in, um, I had scouted way too much I think and and I wasn't feeling it like I normally would it wasn't as exciting as when I the switch turned yeah. in my head yeah. in the summer um this year I mean I've scouted quite a bit this year but I'm I'm also pacing myself I'm and I'm finding some exciting things where last year I just basically found deer with trail yeah. cameras and some trails this year I'm finding the actual bed so that makes it really exciting to know you know I'm finding doe bedding too which I'm gonna target. There's one spot I found looks like deer bedding there constantly on this little mucky island with thick debris around it, and or thick cover. And I'm like, yeah, I could see setting up right here, and if I wanted to shoot a doe, one probably come off. So all those are making it exciting for mm -hmm. when the season gets here to see if those strategies actually play out. So I don't know how I got on that tangent, but there we are. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll have to do a follow-up podcast probably once you once you put something on the ground. Yeah, and, and I'm like I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to document it. Like I've been, if anyone goes to my YouTube channel, they'll see the 
the two scouting videos and it may be a little boring it just shows me walking out in the marsh and showing the, some of the stuff i'm finding i wish i'd videoed um yesterday scouting where i found those beds i didn't i had my cameras with me in my backpack but i played your cell phone though right i just used my cell phone and took some pictures so yeah. when we can sh you know i can show them on this video here on the video portion of it um some of the bedding but yeah um i've, I've been documenting you know my scouting with cameras and i anticipate or i plan to to do the same and probably the same style with the the action cameras show me go in there where i'm going and uh, maybe some mapping you may not get mapping of where i'm actually hunting but yeah. it'll be something similar so kind of give you a feel for where i'm uh, going and then um and then show how it plays out so i mean i think i I've always enjoyed filming my hunts and stuff. Deer hunting, I haven't taken as quite as serious as turkey, but I go back and look at some of the, you know, I've had turkey hunts and deer hunts all the way back from the early 2000s. And I go back sometimes and look at them and I'm like, man, I remember this hunt here. I wish I had videoed it also. You know, I, I, I hate myself sometimes, but I don't hate myself, but I kick myself sometimes for um, not being more dedicated during deer season with the camera you know yeah. I can go back it's nice to go back and relive some hunts you know mm -hmm. all right so where can obviously if people are watching the video portion they'll know where to find your stuff but if people are listening to this on the podcast where once again can we look to find all of your various content yeah, and so any of my videos, um, uh, my turkey hunting, which is Calling All Turkeys, that's the name of that show, and then the Cali Chronicles, the dog tracking, and then my deer hunting, I'm just calling it Public Land Whitetails. It's really just the name of each playlist. That's on my YouTube channel. And you can go to YouTube and just search up Shane Simpson. And if you if you have, there's I think there's a musician called Shane Simpson, but mine usually pops up at the top. It's me in a kayak with a doe behind me. Um, otherwise, just type in Shane Simpson hunting and it'll pop up my channel. Um, of course, on Facebook, I have a Facebook page for me, Calling All Turkeys and the Cali Chronicles, so all three of those. And, and I'm on Instagram also with Calling All Turkeys. But basically, if you find any of them, it's me posting to all three. Yep. <laughs> so, YouTube channel is, um, if, if you just want to watch the videos and stuff, that's, that's probably where I would send you that'd be my favorite place to go if i was looking for content because i like watching stuff i don't like um looking at pictures and reading articles <laughs> yeah all right sounds good we can probably call that a wrap yep